President Trump declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency. Do you agree with him? Is there an agenda being served? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB, sometimes Saturday 3 to 6, sometimes Sunday 1 to 3. It all depends. Today, it is Sunday 1 to 3. I am live. You can call. We're going to talk about this opioid crisis. I'm kind of going to let it uh, uh, let people call with their own experiences and insights, although I've got a lot to say, especially from a libertarian perspective. The number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You could tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. So Trump declared in a speech this week that the opioid crisis is a public health emergency. And uh, any any suggested I read the document from the White House uh, website and the solutions or the actions that are going to take place are kind of your typical stuff. Nothing really earth shattering, moving money around, streamlining processes, maybe injecting more money. I didn't really dig into what maybe some of those things were leading towards. Although if you do a little bit of your own research, there there seems to be money for drug companies at the end of that rainbow. I don't know. I haven't dug into it that way yet. Because as a libertarian, what I tend to do is I don't look at uh, policy solutions to problems before I take a step back and ask the question if there are policies that are creating this problem. And I think it's probably safe to say that anyone who calls himself a libertarian is against the drug war for uh, for number one, for the reason that you are making a personal choice to use drugs or not to use drugs, even to sell drugs or to buy drugs, and that it's none of the government's business to use force to interfere with that. For me, I would even take it one step further and say that the drug war is counterproductive, that, uh, or that the government itself creates uh, – actually contributes to the dependency that it's the fact that it's a black market for drugs that creates the violence that, uh, you know, Merck, when Merck sells drugs, it's a, it's a legitimate company. There's no violence attached because if they put something wrong in their pills, that would be fraud, which is a crime. Uh, if somebody doesn't pay them, they can sue them or attach their assets. They have recourse with the courts. They don't have to break their legs. And uh, in the competitive environment, the government doesn't come in and take Merck away and lock it up in jail so that another so that the other companies fight for the corners. It's just it's the black market that creates the violence. And and I think that is a common focus for libertarians analyzing the issue. But I would say there's another element to it, which I think is more serious, that doesn't get as much attention. And that is, in my opinion, and I, I think it's probably evident to anybody who who's really close to the problem, that the government is the greatest enabler of drugs probably in the world. Not just the back alley, you know, Iran-Contra or CIA crack stuff. That Gary Webb uh, revealed in his book Dark Alliance, which I believe he died for revealing, but that so there's so there's all that nefarious stuff behind the scenes. But as far as just the enabling element of it, the drug problem is much worse, I believe, because we have a welfare state. And I think a great example or an easier to understand example is if you ever watch a show, I try. I, I found it fascinating a couple of times, but it's really sad, so I don't watch it too much. But it's called My 600-Pound Life. And you watch these people who are extremely obese, and I think a lot of them are trying to get gastric bypass surgery or whatever. But you see their lives, and you see that they cannot work. They uh, they can't even procure their own food, so they always have an enabler, a family member, whatever, who brings them food. But it's a lot of food, and, and they tend – it always seems to me they're on the poor side, if not really poor – and – 
you can't help but wonder where are they getting all the money for the food and where is their family getting money for the food and are they really are their families working like dogs to bring enough food to this person to maintain this very unhealthy lifestyle and i think the obvious conclusion is that in many cases it's a function of uh food stamps welfare disability insurance all that kind of stuff that that supports these lifestyles and increases the incidence of obesity and i would say in a parallel way drug addiction in our uh in american society so i have a uh a personal experience this year that really demonstrated that my if you listen to my show you'll know that this was just a devastating year for my family and uh i don't want to get morose i don't want to get and talk too much about the sad stuff but We lost a lot of people this year, and one of the losses was one of my sisters who died of a drug overdose in July. And I don't, I don't need to go through all the blow by blow, but and the details. I'm happy to. I don't mind sharing it. I asked my mom if she minded if I shared it. She said it's fine. Uh, As my mother's philosophy is, if it's true, say it. So as long as I keep it true, mom. I know she listens. If if I get anything wrong. You can give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or tweet at me. Mom's not going to tweet, but you can tweet, at Monica Perez Show. So uh, so, so I just want to, uh, with my sister's story, there are a couple of elements that point out what I'm trying to say here about how the government enables. And with her, you know, so much of her story is like straight out of the propaganda memes or whatever, the agenda serving memes she was uh, had back pain she actually had a pin in her back she was addicted to painkillers she was also addicted to heroin she was an alcoholic uh all this stuff but uh and ultimately heroin laced with fentanyl killed her but how she lived this lifestyle was very heavily dependent on the government she did not work hadn't worked in a long time she her methadone program was subsidized by the government her her government insurance with Medicaid or Medicare, whatever it was, paid for her to take taxis to methadone. She had, uh, you know, paid for her doctors to get her pills. And ultimately, the heroin that killed her was paid for by money that was direct deposited into her account by the government, who was well aware at that time of what her situation was and that she was really on the verge of self-harm there, whether intentionally or not. So for me, like in the state without that, the welfare state, the safety net that provides and all these facilitating policies they have is what is called in economic circles and libertarian circles and elsewhere, a moral hazard. It's, it creates a problem. It creates a moral problem. That's not necessarily the intention of the policies, but it creates the problem. And that's what I think in part, or maybe first of all, needs to be addressed. But even with all of this, even with my mother who has now buried two people, two drug-related deaths, two children, two of her children, my brother and my sister, uh, she will always say in the end, free will? You got free will? So, so uh, she describes herself as a libertarian, and I think she really lives that because she can... Uh, she recognizes that it's a personal choice. This is what a sticking point is, that it's hard for the government to say they can use violence for drugs because it is a personal choice. And they need this drug war. It really justifies a lot of the surveillance state, a lot of the police state. Terrorism is taking its place a bit, but a lot of that stuff, just the door was opened in the drug war to government overreach, no-knock raids, all that kind of stuff. So I've noticed lately, and in Trump's speech this week, he actually said, this is not a victimless crime. And he talks about how babies are born addicted to drugs. They, so, And I noticed this fentanyl stuff, apparently just being near it is enough to kill you. So now law enforcement is in danger. So these are innocent bystanders. And then yesterday, I think I saw the, the, the uh, piece de resistance, the really the um, most obvious example of like they're innocent bystanders. Binkley, can you, do you have handy that um, 
headline I tweeted. I don't want to get it wrong. What uh, Lay that on me. The headline is Puppy Revived with Narcan, Narcan After Eating Discarded Opioid. Right. So I read that on WSB. I also heard it on Fox. There's this adorable, adorable puppy, like a yellow lab puppy, which is like as cute as the puppiest puppy you could possibly ever <laughs> yeah. see. And this cute, adorable puppy nearly died because it sniffed fentanyl in a discarded cigarette package, which fortunately its quick thinking owner got it to a vet and somebody figured out that this puppy needs Narcan and then the puppy was revived. But the point is this kind of theme promotes the idea that it's not a victimless crime. And when I see that kind of stuff, I can't help but feel there is an an agenda at work. And and maybe they just exploit these crises. I am always down the rabbit hole. I feel like they um, manufacture these crises or facilitate them. So I want to talk about the agenda. But if you have an insight, if you have a personal experience here that you want to share, maybe set me right, set me straight. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, I have some criticisms of my own position that I will share with you. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And uh, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Right after the break, I have someone who actually does have a constructive bit of advice Uh about uh, relevance of the crisis. So hang on for that. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. 37 degrees outside the studio. Skies are hazy. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. We're talking about Trump and uh, declaring the opioid crisis a public health emergency. And I'm... I'm sharing a story I think is relevant, and I'm interested in your stories. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I am going to my sister, Franny, is on line six. Hi, Fran. How are you doing? Good, Monica. How are you? Good. We were just talking for people who just joined us. Our One of our sisters died this year of in July of a heroin overdose laced with fentanyl. And in her case, she was actually, and this is very, very common, she was clean. Uh, she was in a facility um, against her will, I might add. We can get into that a little bit later, the libertarian take on that. Uh, and they released her, and she uh, immediately went and got heroin, which ended up being laced with fentanyl, and it killed her. So I I only have about a minute, Fran, but I know that you had, uh, through your um the work you've been doing kind of in the aftermath of this, you've found out something that might be helpful to people who are in a similar situation. You want to tell us? Yeah, I did. Um, I was looking for some answers, and I discovered that there's this promising tool that's available um, to the people on the front lines and addicts in crisis. Uh, It's called Vivitrol, and it's a a once-a-month, non-narcotic, non-addictive, injectable medication that um, completely... Uh, blocks the opiate activity on the brain. So um, if someone's clean, they have to be clean for about a week. But if they are injected with this, um, it really cuts down the uh, um, relapse rates, everything. They don't, just don't even have the desire to do it. So I was wondering why maybe if there's a conspiracy, <laughs> but why why wouldn't this be more available? Why didn't I even know about this? I mean... It's, it sounds like it's something that should be pretty commonly used if the opiate uh, problem is as terrible as we actually know it is. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. I actually do think that there are kind of sinister motives behind some of these developments. But that that's an interesting thing if people are interested in that. Vivitrol, I think it's called. And uh, I also had a helpline number, 1-800-662-HELP. Uh, that's four, three, five, seven, uh, because you do need help. And that's, that's where the libertarian angle gets kind of interesting because, uh, can you use the government to do it? Isn't that really force what, you know, that's what they call a competing rights issue. I want to get into that, but Cliff, Jill, they're going to share their stories. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. 
Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Every American should know that if they purchase illegal drugs, they are helping to finance some of the most violent, cruel, and ruthless organizations anywhere in the world. Illegal drug use is not a victimless crime. That was President Trump this week announcing the opioid crisis as a national health emergency. And I found that clip interesting because he points out the violence inherent in the drug trade. But it's not inherent in the drug trade because pharmaceutical companies don't have that problem. It's inherent in black markets. Black markets for anything are marked with violence because they cannot use the legal system to resolve disputes. You can't go to the courts if there's fraud. You can't sue them for tort, for accidental drug overdose because you can't find them because they're not in retail establishments because they're on the run. There's I went over it a little bit. Earlier in this show, and if you want to hear the whole show, go to I have uh, we'll post it in a couple of days on propagandareportdaily.com along with our other podcasts. But uh, so I'm not going to go through all that. But another thing about this clip that was interesting to me was that he emphasizes Trump emphasizes that uh, this is not a victimless crime. And there's another clip where he talks about babies being addicted. We were talking earlier about a puppy who needed to be revived by Narcan. Like there's clearly a big push to get us to believe that it is the government's business to protect us from uh, the violence, the death, the danger of drug of the drug trade of drugs of illegal drugs, even if we're not involved in it ourselves, it can reach into your community and nab you. And that's important because people are starting to get sick of the drug war. And you can see that with the legalizing pot movement, which I also feel like is a double-edged sword as a libertarian. I'm not advocating that drugs be illegal. I'm just saying you got to watch out because George Soros is funding the legalized pot movement. There are a lot of corporations who are going to benefit from it um, tax revenue goes up, and I, I think it really neutralizes the political power, the, the cognitive thinking, the influence, the effectiveness of, of the youth who tend to be idealistic and activist and all that. So I do not advocate drug use. I, I don't advocate the drug war either. But the reason – so people are getting sick of it. Now, uh, in order to get you to think – so it's it's like it's like the war on terror in order to justify invading Syria. We have to experience terrorism here. And a lot of the terrorism plots were actually facilitated by the FBI. You know, this is in The New York Times. This is in the record. Fox showed it, too. So what they do is they make sure that you feel like it's self-defense to justify it. And they really need to continue with the drug war. There's black operations money comes out of it, as we saw with Iran-Contra. But really, it's just used to justify, just like the war on terror is used to justify the police state, the surveillance state, curtailing the Bill of Rights, uh, uh, no-knock raids, a lot of things that the building the wall, Trump, I noticed this for a while now, is using the drug war as a reason to build the wall. That wall might end up keeping us in. I mean, if you're down the rabbit hole as far as I am, you know how bad things can get with a government that's uh, increasingly totalitarian as ours is. So I, I think that they're really doubling down on the drug war and they want us to think that we are justified in in this because we can be touched by it. But I say as a libertarian, the only reason these negative effects happen is the nature of the black market, not the nature of drugs per se. Uh, but I want to know your experiences. This, what I did also say earlier is that this has touched my family uh, in many ways. We've lost several, I think six people to heroin related deaths. Um, I, two siblings, uh, I have cousins, in-laws, you know, really in my family. And this year in July, my sister died of a heroin overdose of heroin laced with fentanyl. And that's like the fentanyl is the thing that people will pick up and cops will smell and OD. You know, that's the thing that that endangers innocent bystanders. We were talking earlier about a puppy who was revived by Narcan. You know, it just it so feeds into the memes. Um 
Binkley, do you have a, a tweet for me? I think we had a tweet in response to that little story about the puppy. Yeah, the originalist tweets, the ODing puppy story is a joke, right? Yeah, it seems like a joke because it's so it's so propaganda. You know, it's like the opposite of atrocity propaganda. Like you look at that cute puppy with his little Band-Aid on his paw <laughs> and you're like, oh, my gosh, we need to have a drug war. That puppy's so cute. Um it's just manipulative. It's just emotional. But there are real questions here. Like with us, my sister was so far gone. She had been using drugs for so long that we really had to debate whether it was okay to commit her. Uh, and that, as a libertarian, is 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 a real question. You know, do you let people who are really at that point mentally incompetent, people like that, or Alzheimer's, or children, or whatever, just roam around freely in the name of liberty, or are there limits to that? I'm interested in that, and also in your stories, uh, to the extent you can give us some insights. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You could tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to Cliff and Marietta. Hi, Cliff. You're on with Monica. Hi. I, I just want to tell you, thank you very much for your insight into this, because there's so many people that just don't have a clue. Yeah, it's hard to get your mind around. I try to think of, like, where is it even coming from? Why is it such an epidemic in, a, in the richest society that ever existed? Why, why are people giving themselves mental illness, which no is kidding. what this is? You know, it's self-induced mental illness. Well, I'll, I'll just be brief with my story. My daughter got involved with uh, just opioids about five or six years ago. And when we discovered it and when she... She had sort of like a church background, so she was willing to, you know, work with the program to, to get straightened out and everything. So a couple of years later, they tightened. I guess she was still trying to sneak and take up stuff, take different stuff. And then she had turned to heroin when I guess they dried up a lot of the opioids as far as being able to get to the market. So she got caught, thank goodness, by the police. And so she got in a different program, and they told us about something called Vivitrol. I heard you mention it a minute ago in the air. Mm -hmm. And so I read all of the things online about it, and I thought, my goodness, you mean there's some kind of hope for when you get hooked on heroin and stuff like that? So she had great insurance where she was working, and she was able to get Vivitrol shots. And they would come like once every 30 days or 35 days or something like that. And it was just really a ray of hope. And then her insurance company, I guess because of the cost of them, stopped giving her the shots and stopped paying for the shots. And I was in shock to find out that when she started paying herself to get on them, that they were like twelve to $1,400 a piece. Yes, that's so what I, my, my sister just sent me more information on that. Yes, isn't that crazy? I mean, the... It's it's interesting because is it considered a mental illness or a or a disease that the insurance should really be paying for that for sure? It's it, the cost to her. You know, it, it, did she had she managed? Did she manage without it? You know, five months, five months taking those shots for five months, and she came to me and she said, "Dad, you know, I don't have that craving anymore to do this." Now she's got in a couple of things like celebrate recovery and drug programs like that that help her maintain but i could not believe that the price on that and so when trump made this uh statement about all these drug money that was coming in i go oh my goodness they're going to be able to uh subsidize the cost of vivitrol and through the studies and finding out about it it's still going to stay the same and yeah well i know my sister who called earlier my family's from new york they are working with one of the i think it's a state senator Carlucci, who wants to make it part of the government program to make sure people are able to get on this stuff. But as to me, as a libertarian, I'm always conflicted because do I want to have the government pay for this stuff when, you know, to me, it's not a government issue, but it, right. it really hits home. You know, when you think about what is the real solution here, because my sister died, you know, like she died. So it's all nice to be theoretical, but... Uh, could we have helped her in some way? And if this would have helped, would I have? She was getting disability anyway. She was getting Medicare, was paying for methadone anyway. They were paying for a taxi to go to get methadone. You know, is it is it against my principles to say, you know what, you could shift the money from that to this? You know, maybe right. it is worth it. But anyway, thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, 
I hope she stays on the straight and narrow. I am under the impression that these uh, community, these groups, the support groups, can can be very effective. Like from AA to to maybe your church groups or whatever, where other members will be there for you twenty four seven. I mean, they take it. Uh, recovering people, helping other recovering people, really take that seriously. I do think that if that's something that works for you. Uh, th- those people are dedicated. I am going to go to Jill and coming. Jill, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. Hey, Jill. Um, I'm going to try to get through this phone call because this is um, m- my daughter died just a little over a month ago. And um, we found her. Um, and she had there was a bag of heroin and a rolled up five dollar bill. And she she died right there. Um, behind a desk, um, and um, we found her because she nobody could reach her. Um, but she was she had been battling this since at least 2008 when we did an intervention and got her into a rehab, which she broke the rules, got kicked out, went to another rehab, broke the rules. Um, got out, um, got with her boyfriend, got pregnant. Um, so I have, she had a a daughter before that. Um, so she's left three beautiful children. And I'm here to tell you, this is definitely not a victimless crime because she has devastated all of us through this whole ordeal and i'm sure you're aware of it yeah. um, going through it with your sister and and i i have i would like to ask you i mean you're not alone and do you have any insights is there anything that you would say you think that that you could have done or anyone could do because i feel like we we i don't i don't know if i have any insights and to what is really an answer here there is nothing else we could have done we I mean, every time we tried to help her, um, she would, uh, you know, she she acted like she wanted to have help. She was a living contradiction mm-hmm. of life because she would um, she would say, "All I ever wanted to do was be a mommy, and all I want is my kids, and all I want is this," and and then she would act like she was straight, and then she would go hawk everything to get drugs. And it just, every time you started to trust her, she would betray everyone. Yeah, that it, that is a a very common thing. They, they're, they're deceptive, and also they're conflicted. It's, it's like the devil has a grip on them. I, I'm going to, I have to go to a break. Jill and I would I would tell you to hang on but I'm going to let you go because it is it's difficult and painful um and I really appreciate your sharing the story and uh and I and I think we can continue talking about this a little bit because this is not an unusual story and and yes the family does suffer greatly so give me a call 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk you can tweet at me at Monica Perez show Monica Perez on News 955 and AM 750 WSB 50 degrees the forecast high today I would say if we're lucky 38 low overnight weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air and I am going to go to Alex in Atlanta. Alex, you are on with Monica. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I just wanted to comment on something, uh, you know, having to do with, uh, you know, laws on drugs, uh, sorry, pertaining to drugs, and as well as Trump's declaring the uh, opioid epidemic a national emergency. Um, I used heroin for many years. I, I started out being prescribed uh, oxycodone for herniated discs in my back. And uh, the DA got involved, and they offered, well, more like forced guidelines on the doctors, forcing them to limit the amount of time you're able to be prescribed to something, uh, as well as other things, you know, enforcing laws on pharmacies, making them, making it harder for them to dispense the drugs. Well, once you've been prescribed to a decent enough dose for a while, you're going to become physically dependent. Whether you're abusing it or not, you're getting de- you're going to be dependent on it, and 
when the government basically forced me to be taken off without really being weaned, I went to heroin, and I used that for five years, and I found getting off was extremely difficult. And they, they declared the opioid epidemic a, a national emergency, but the problem I see is that they don't offer any means of getting off to people who are really, you know, neck deep in it. Yeah, and, and actually, I do find that some of their policies, you got to wonder, and if you go down the rabbit hole like I do, sometimes I think they create these addictions on purpose because there's so much political power to the drug war, from the money to the police state. I want to keep talking about this. Matt, hang on. He thinks the drug addiction is a mental illness. I want to explore that. 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. There is a hospital nursery where one in every five babies spends its first days in agony. Because these precious babies were exposed to opioids or other drugs in the womb, They endure nausea, pain, anxiety, sleeplessness, and troubling eating, just the same as adults undergoing detox. Some of these children will likely lose one or both of their parents to drug addiction and overdose. They will join the growing ranks of America's opioid orphans. Such beautiful, beautiful babies. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on WSB, and we've been talking about Donald Trump announcing last week that the opioid crisis is a national health emergency. And if you know my show, uh, I'm a libertarian, but I'm also an extreme cynic when it comes to party politics and any kind of policies that come out of D.C., I have to say, just like the news, cable news 24-7 cable news, anything I hear out of those two outlets, I assume 90% of it, or first and foremost, I assume it's propaganda to serve an agenda that does not serve the purpose that they say it serves. However, the opioid crisis is real. I mean, even if they manufactured it, it is real. And for me... uh, I was sharing my experience. My sister died a couple of months ago of heroin laced with fentanyl. She had pain and was an opioid addict and just a lot of things like that. And But this is happening in the here and now. We had uh, uh, Jill called earlier. Thank you very much for sharing your story, Jill, about her. She lost her daughter who left children behind, saying that it is actually not a victimless crime. And we do, I mean, so as a libertarian, I really always try to think about the right and wrong of government intervention, state power versus social power. And we do hurt each other. And do we have responsibilities? Do you have a legal responsibility to your children to take care of them? I mean, I don't think you can just abandon your kids. I think you go to jail for that. I don't even think you can give them to somebody. I think you have to. Uh, there are rules about how you deal with your kids, whether it's a drug issue or not. It doesn't have to be caught up in the drug problem. But uh, Binkley had – my producer and I were talking at the break about – so so for my family, for Jill's family, for some of the other families that are already in the throes of this, you can't – I don't know what the answer is. You know, it's really difficult and – they're, they really don't – it seems to be hard to get into a rehab center. They don't, they don't always have beds, and the success rate is so low. So I don't know the answer for that, but Binkley had a really interesting point about how our children are kind of teed up for addiction. I don't want to belabor that. I do want to hear your thoughts on that, though, Binkley, and I did want to hear uh, – give me a tweet and then your thoughts, and then I've got, I've got some calls. I'm gonna, if, you're, if you're on the line right now, I am going to get to you. Let me just get through these other insights first. So go ahead. Bingley. You have a tweet from Shieldy who says that he's blessed to be listening to your show right now. Wow. That is uh, an honor. I hope to 
earn. Um, this is a little beyond my, this is outside my wheelhouse, as they say. I like analytics, like I like yeah. math problems, <laughs> you know, the occasional crossword. But this stuff, these really emotional and nuanced things are a little harder to, to get through. But I think it's good for us to stay, you know, you can talk about policy and politics all day long, but the, but the reality is our real obligation in this world, our real purpose is to take care of our families uh, to live you know, the best life you can to kind of fulfill this person purpose as a human being, which is a noble calling for anyone, no matter what your occupation or your st- status in life, we have the same nobility. Uh, so it is important to address these, these questions, but what in a nutshell, Binkley, can you tell me what you were saying about, uh, about how you can not, not to like brainwash kids about addiction, but what, it, what was your insight? Help me understand. Yeah, I don't think it's about teaching them about the content of addiction. I think it's about teaching kids how to make and break and recognize habits because we're living in a society where we're trained to just give in to every temptation on demand. And we're rich enough that we can overindulge. If you if you yeah. if my kids had to do a lot of chores, like I I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I can do the chores basically outside of this. I can do the chores and they kind of have freer time, so they can then spend a lot of time on screens, which clearly results in addiction. I, even my son who yeah. has Down syndrome, he gets physical withdrawal symptoms. I actually had to take his laptop away, the poor kid, because he would what we call hulk out. He was just like, Aah! I read an article that related what it does to their brains, how it have, how heroin affects people's brains. I believe it. That I observe it because my family is so riddled with this addiction stuff. I can recognize it, and I see it in kids. My husband just bought a book. It just showed up, so I haven't even flipped through it yet. But I think it addresses this. It's called Glow Kids, and he heard good things about it. And uh, But I feel like we do set our kids up for addiction. I got a tweet earlier that said, you know, from sugar to ADHD medicine. But for me, I see it as the screens especially. I mean, that it's it just cannot be healthy. So... So it's good, I think, for us to take a step back. I do focus a lot on policy, but you don't, it doesn't have to be a policy. Let's just be aware. I do think it's a sinister plot that they bombard our kids with this crap that makes them uh, incapable of functioning civilly, like in a civic sense, as citizens, whether it's uh, drugs or the plug-in drugs or any of that. I do think they're neutralizing generation after generation increasingly so we can't think anymore people think it's chemtrails or fluoride there's a thousand ways uh but there's some that you see in your own home if you just open your eyes i think always that's the first step but let's get to some calls thank you for that insight i'm gonna go to matt and duluth hi matt you're on with monica hey monica how are you today good how are you good first off uh sorry for your loss i wanted to say that right out of the bat um i wanted to give you uh, the point of view of somebody from the drug addict's perspective, because that was me. Um, I, much like your other caller, started on a pain medication due to some injuries, and they did crack down, they did make it harder, um, and it sort of grew from there. However, I'm one of the lucky ones. I had access to really good treatment, really good doctors, really good uh, facilities, and I had the help that I needed. Well, during that process, I wanted to go back to a comment you made earlier um, where you said, I think it was self-induced mental illness. So the way that I've learned through science and doctors and things of this nature is it's a brain disease from start to finish. So when you say that you can see some of these uh, attributes or traits in, you know, kids around your house and things of that nature, because much like my family, you know, addiction is a, it goes down the gene pool and it runs in other people's families. So, you know, I think you can see traits in it. Now, you know, they may not be exposed as much as, you know, people are probably exposed more nowadays, like you and your producer were just talking about, than they were 20 years ago. Um, but on the political note, I think it's a lot like gun control. Um, you can take the drugs away. Uh, somebody's going to make some fake fentanyl and start selling it. You know, it's, it's, it, you have to start treating the illness and the disease. You can't treat the, uh, it's just like gun control. You can't yeah, take the I, guns I away do. and expect people, you know. 
I, I do wonder about the the illness disease thing. Like, I, I really struggle with this because I see it in my family. You can see addictive personalities or that gene. I absolutely recognize that. There's no question. But when it starts getting to the point, uh, like my sister was, was on drugs for so long, I literally, like, right. towards the end, she was really never herself anymore. Like, she was not. She used to be a very rational person. She had so many great qualities. Sometimes these high-energy, intense people are the ones who who walk the edge or need more yeah. of that to calm down. You know, it's all, super tragic. But, like, I couldn't even reach her mentally at all towards the end, even, like, in the morning before her methadone. Like, she was gone. And it was true. Then, at that point, in my mind, it was genuine True, even if she never did drugs again, she then had a mental illness. But I also think that these these sometimes are the self-medicating pre-existing mental illnesses. And I, and those are big problems. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, So I think, I think nowadays we have so many things that are instant gratification. You know, you can get on your phone and see what everybody's doing. You can... Like you said, we yeah. are a rich society. You can go to the store if you're craving some sugar. You can yep. do, you know, there's a lot of these things that are just available to us. And mm-hmm. you yeah. don't have to work for anything. And a lot of these kids also don't know what the other side looks like. You know, they may think, you know, I have it hard. I need to self-medicate, like you were just saying. But really, you know, they probably have it better than anybody else on their street. So, oh, please. Um, I know. I, I really I like I understand. Yeah. I don't even like, like, I, I used to think I wanted to live in the nicest neighborhood. I could now, like, I want to live in the least <laughs> nice neighborhood. Right, I love, right. I send my kids to a conservative Catholic school in part because it's, it's humble. But I wanted to touch on something. I do have to take a break. David, Rick, hang on. I'm, uh, I got to take a break, but I, I really want to talk to you. Uh, but what Matt was saying, there's something about, uh, building character and getting through challenges without these easy outs, without always trying to smooth the way for your kids. It's not easy to do because I do expect a lot from my kids. They do a lot of work. They have a lot of homework and I want them to be happy. And I just think, oh my gosh, your life is going to be all work at some point, you know, enjoy now. But, but I feel like, uh, we have lost sight of what it takes really to build character. And that's the strength that you need to get through the tough times. That feeling of self-worth, that self-respect, I think, can help maybe at least in the early stages. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. David says that he is in chronic pain and wants to know what it's going to be like for those people when these prescriptions get harder. That's a real problem I want to talk to you about at Monica Perez show. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Hi, today at 50, tomorrow's high 63. The weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we are talking about Trump announcing that the opioid crisis is a national health emergency. And uh, I really feel like Although I'm cynical about anything anyone in government says, I do feel like this is a serious problem. I've been sharing my own stories and uh, listening to yours, and I think we've gotten some fantastic insights. If you do, if you're just tuning in, you want to hear this show, my producer Binkley is going to put it up as a podcast in a couple of days on PropagandaReportDaily.com, along with the all the shows and podcasts that we do. I'm going to take some calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to David in Dawsonville. David, you're on with Monica. Monica, thank you for taking my call. Um, first, of all, first of all, I, I take the mental illness part with uh, a great offense. Um, I have been going to pain clinics now for 16 years. I am on my second pain clinic for nine years now. Do you consider yourself an addict? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I did not have my medication, of course I would be in trouble. Uh, I have four prescriptions that are narcotics I take monthly. I see a orthopedic surgeon runs my pain clinic. And they don't have any other, they have no, I, I'm sorry if I offended I, I've tried you. I've every I, alternative from lidocaine patches to tramadol, which is a synthetic a narcotic in it. None and of, are you stuff has worried that they won't, uh, you won't have access to it if they change the laws without thinking it through? Of course. Yeah, of course. I, I, I do. And I, and I legitimately go to one. I have records. Uh, they had to call all my medical records before they accepted me. It's not a pill mill. 
it is a legitimate plan. Yeah, I had I had a similar concern because I had a minor surgery once, but it really hurt. I was really in pain, and I called the doctor, and she said, "I said, can't you give me some kind of pain reliever?" She said, "Are you seeking narcotics?" And I said, "Yes, I'm in pain from a medical procedure. Are you suggesting narcotics are only for recreational purposes?" You know what? What are you saying here? You know, she was not giving it to me when they were required, when they were necessary. What they are for, and that is a big problem with all these controls. Is that uh, they clamp down and they get it wrong a lot. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Rick, hang on. You're up next. Monica Perez on News ninety five five and AM seven fifty WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, sometimes Saturdays 3 to 6, sometimes Sundays 1 to 3. I'm on 1 to 3 right now. And if you miss the show, looking around for it, want to know when it's on, sign up for uh, Binkley and I have a blog, PropagandaReportDaily.com. If you can't remember that, you can go to MonicaPerezShow.com. But at PropagandaReportDaily.com, you can also get the podcast, the podcast he and I do together and the podcasts of this show. So... It's a good resource. It's free and commercial free, which I love. That's a courtesy of WSB. I appreciate that. And also a courtesy of WSB is the weekend prize pack. So let me tell you what it is. We have four passes to see 20th Century Fox's upcoming film Murder on the Orient Express in theaters November 10th and a family four pack of tickets to an Atlanta Gladiators home game at Infinity Infinite Energy Arena. First to call 404-741-0750 gets the prize pack. So we have been talking about the opioid crisis that President Trump announced as a national or a public health uh, epidemic this week. And it's this has touched my life. It's touched so many lives. I feel like I feel like everybody, everybody's family has been touched by it one way or another. I did get some tweets saying my family hasn't, which I was happy to hear because to me, I, it's been, t- my family's been, I mean, we've lost numerous people to heroin overdoses specifically and other related things, but that's just been a problem in our family for decades, all during which drugs have been illegal. The drug war has been on full speed ahead. Like to me, the drug war is definitely not working, and I don't think we need to take this crisis and say government is the solution. But I also don't want to oversimplify and just say, well, I just know the black and white answer. Ideologically, I'm a libertarian, no government. I mean, this is a real a problem, a social problem, a family problem. I think our sick society starts at the top with the shadow government behind the scenes. I think they manipulate these social conditions on purpose. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we can't handle it or deal with it or try to help our own children, even, you know, the little children who maybe you want to not have them addicted to screens. Maybe that is a gateway. I don't know. But I feel like good common sense and eyes open is a great first start. So, Binkley, why don't you read us some tweets? All right. I have one from Rob who tweets, the drug problem is a ploy to weaken our society to be sheep rather than individuals. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I think uh, having the drug war doesn't mean that the people behind that don't know darn well we're still doing tons of drugs. And even legalizing pot, which I'm absolutely for, I don't want any kind of regulations or taxation or anything. I want people growing it in their backyards. I don't want it to be pushed by corporations or pushed by the government because they like the revenue. None of that. It's a weed. You can grow it. You could probably grow it without Roundup. You could probably, it's probably better for you if you grow it in your backyard. However, when you hear like people like George Soros are behind it or there's big money in these uh, pot growing businesses, you have to wonder, is it about that? Is it about corporate money? Is it about uh, dumbing down society? Is it about warehousing uh, underemployed youth so that they don't take to the streets for any kind of uh, uh, activism. I'm not talking about the made-up activism that hits the cable news 24-7. I'm talking about people really being awake, being aware. That's why I think they gave out the Obama phone, so that people would not 
really wake up, they could be subject to the propaganda, in this case, subject to their wits being dealt. So I'm not in favor of drugs, but I'm not in favor of the drug war. But I want to, uh, uh, I'm open to, wow, what something I said just lit up every single phone line. I wonder, I hope they're, you're great and not, <laughs> let me tell you something, honey. <laughs> Let's see. But Rick's been waiting a long time, so we're going to start with him. Uh, Rick, you are on with Monica. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Hello, Monica. Thank you for taking my call, and sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, uh, personally, I'm I'm a Gulf War veteran, and also in the civilian world, received wound up receiving an injury to my back, and was prescribed opioids for well over six years. Um, and the the thing was is it did yes it did lead me to other drugs that once that was cut off i wound up having to find something else to help relieve the pain and it's i've been clean for almost a year now which it's not an easy thing to do it's a daily battle but i never had the access to rehabs and the, where I live in the country, there's there's none of those support groups that you could call on people, and even through the, the VA, Rick, the it, VA doesn't have anything. The, where I'm at, no, not really. And it's uh, you know, sometimes some of these programs do have benefits. I don't consider myself a libertarian, but I enjoy listening to your show to hear the different perspectives from different types of uh, points of view. And uh, thank you for your show. I've I've been new to listening to it here over the past uh, month and a half, and it's it's enjoyable. But it's sometimes people really do want to stop, and they have a hard time. And if they don't have that support group, you know, they really... They have to rely on their their own will. Inner strength. And I'll tell you, Rick, this is the one thing that has always just broken my heart for the addicts in my family is that they that this crutch, however it entered their lives, often from pain, uh, is the thing that they go to when they need you know, a little something extra. And here you're at this point where you have this terrible battle to overcome. And the thing that has helped you through your struggles is the thing that you can't go to. I mean, to me, it's a very difficult thing. The supports, I do feel I have noticed that that does work. I mean, do you feel like your, uh, you know, family or community, is there even just not as a formal like drug support network, but just as a we believe in you and are there for you kind of support? Do you find that that's available to you or helpful to you? It is absolutely. I've recently, uh, four years ago, met a woman, um, and I've had a few relapses between that and between then and now. And the fact that she still is standing there beside me is also what drives me on every day. Yeah, I I myself find that that it's essential to have that self respect to understand that. You're a creature composed of body and soul made in the image and likeness of God, if I remember my catechism correctly, that we really uh, have this nobility that we should respect and that the people who love you can help you understand. I personally find that that gives me strength. I don't have that struggle. But it's a, for me, I have a son with Down syndrome. It's been difficult to you know, you get tired, you know, you got to do the right thing. You got to live up to your responsibilities. And I think that, that even if it's not a formal thing, that's where your strength lies. So, um, so do you feel like you're, you're going to make it? Is it, what are you going to do? Oh, absolutely. There's no, no way I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. And it's because of that support from my family. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it because, and I've loved the calls on the show today. Really, I highly recommend if people have not heard this whole, the whole show to go listen to the podcast uh, because this is what I was hoping for, for people, if we can talk about it, you know, it's 
there's so much that we can do or at least think about, about it clearly. And I, I know Rick was saying he likes the libertarian angle. It's not definitely doesn't give you all the answers or it's sometimes not the practical answers that you need. But this is social power, which is a libertarian answer. This is, uh, you know, looking at yourself as someone who, you know, the government doesn't have to provide the answers because you yourself or your community uh, has its own strength, which I think we're often led to believe is not true. Andy in Cartersville, you are on with Monica. Hello, oh, Cartersville. Sorry, are you not Andy? Hi, uh, Rick. Uh, I believe in you. Yeah, I know. I'm so happy. Uh, and I'm for sorry for your losses. Thank you. Um, yes, it's, it's so many people. Nancy, are Nancy has never, uh, you know, when Nancy Reagan started the war on drugs, never will work. Never has going to work. Never would work. And then they would get on the rate. I remember when I was a kid seeing the governor of New York get up and say, man, we've got to beat this crack stuff. It's it's cheaper and better than Coke. Who could resist it? You know, he might well, as well. You I know what I mean? And all, when I started that Coke and all that stuff, there wasn't no crack around. It was just, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And it might have been around, but we didn't do it. Uh, my, my thing is, earlier in your show, at the beginning of your show, you were talking about government enabling uh, yeah, I mean, my sister, and, uh, every step of the way, there, everything that happens no to her. no way to monitor recipients? Uh, could the government, government monitor uh, for drug use? There, there are proposals out there that people have to take drug tests in order to get government funding. But I feel like they yeah. that the government wants, you know, this is where I'm down in my rabbit hole. Because I feel like their policy is, they say it's unintended, but... They, we were telling them, we're like, you, she has money in the bank. You keep putting money in her account. You're going to release her. You've cleaned her up. She's going to take that money and do heroin and die. And she did. We said she'll be dead within 24 hours. I think she lasted 36. She was in a government facility. Public housing. I mean, they're, they're just enabling people to do this. They could spend the money if there was a monitoring recipients thing on more broader thing like Rick is going through in a rural area where he doesn't have. Yeah. Uh, the help. They could put more help out there in the rural areas. Rick, if you're still listening, two people can make a uh, meeting. Oh, yeah. Two people can go to their neighbors. Their neighbors can go to neighbors. You can start your own thing. The best way to help yourself is by helping others. That's a anonymous, you know, a 12-step way. Yep. The best way to help yourself is to help somebody else get off of it. You're already clean. Keep going for it. But the best way to help yourself is to help somebody else. And that, and you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel more clean. But anyway, the government enabling it, I think, uh, you know, get the government out of it. Yeah, see, that's it's, the it's thing. Never, it's never worked. It never has been. No, if, and I would say that if you can say, well, we should monitor the housing, we should monitor the money, we should give them the drug test or whatever, whatever. Not, you didn't say that part. But uh, for me, it's just like the wall and immigration and everything. If, if the problem is not they can't figure out what to do. In my opinion, the problem is that our government is a pathocracy. It's like doesn't work for us anymore. And it doesn't want to figure out what to do. It works hard to give us these problems so that we need them to intervene, so that we are kind of kneecapped, so we are disabled. I don't think they want to solve the problem, which is why they create the problem. And if you dig into these policies so many times, they create the problem. So it's not a will. It's not trying to fi It's not trying to figure out the right answer. It's that it's realizing they don't want to help you. So, yeah, get them out. Uh, I have time for one call after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Frost expected tomorrow morning. That's Monday with a forecast high of 63. So it's going to get a little bit warmer as the work week begins. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we are wrapping up uh, our show today, which was a little bit of a departure. We're talking about the opioid crisis in kind of real life terms, not just theoretical Russia did it, you know, <laughs> which you're hearing all over the place. This is real. This is stuff that we all have to deal with. And uh, if you want to hear the show, if you just tuned in, you can check it out on our podcast, PropagandaReportDaily.com. But I've got time for one more call. I'm going to get Lisa and Dunwoody let you have the last word. Lisa, you're on the air. 
Hi, good afternoon, Monica. Thank you for your call. I mean, for your, your show. This is more than coincidental. I'm literally sitting in my car. I just left the hospital. I don't know whether my son's going to make it or not. The bottom line is, is up here north of Atlanta, whether the, these people are fighting the same battles, uh, years and years of heroin abuse, the fentanyl, and my son is fighting for his life right now. Can you tell us your son's first name and maybe people can pray for him? His name is Nick. And the bottom line of it is, is that we have gone through the court system. We've gone to drug court. We have gone through what they call court-appointed druggy rehabs, which are just nests of bees of people who abuse and try to sell to people that they already know are users. This is something that is prevalent that's going on in Atlanta. I was disappointed. I'll touch on politics with regard to I'm glad that it was acknowledged by Trump that that we do have this epidemic. But on the other side, there's no no funding for it. Insurance companies, uh, even through Obamacare, don't want to cover. Yeah, they don't. And I, I unfortunately, it's the end of the show, Lisa. And I just we should pray that this is a wake up call for your son and that. He comes through this, and and some good comes out of it. I really feel for you. It's uh, let's pray for Nick. And there's a helpline for those of you out there who don't know where to turn. One eight hundred six six two four three five seven. Maybe they can have a better experience than Lisa and Nick did. This is Monica Perez back next week, Sunday, one to three.